There's a columnist I like reading, a writer named Damon Linker. I don't always agree with him, but he always makes me think. And this week, he wrote a column about the importance of not oversimplifying the narrative of what's happening right now. Don't willfully ignore the complexity of what's happening in America right now, he wrote on June 3rd. He said that, quote, Americans are prone to the Christian heresy of Manichaeism, dividing the world into children of light and children of darkness. That American reality isn't contained in either of those polarized, idealized, or demonized positions. It's found in the complicated interplay between thousands of variations on those mostly imagined pure forms. This week, we bring you a CNA newsroom about racism. Like you, we have been following closely news about the death of George Floyd and our nation's reaction to it. What happened to George Floyd was not okay. Police brutality is not okay. For that matter, neither is the willful destruction of someone else's property as an expression of anger. And we could talk about all of those things a lot. We could have a whole series about those things. But we do not want to oversimplify the endless complexity of this narrative. We want to get to its heart. So this episode features the voices of a few black Catholics. They tell their own stories. They come from different parts of our country and from different walks of life. They'll be sharing their reactions to the death of George Floyd and offering their own reflections on how we as a church and we as a country can move forward. There is so much more that we could say and should say. This episode is by no means the end of our coverage of this topic, but we thought it was so important to start with the voices of black Catholics themselves who live the experience of what it is to be black in America. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. Stay with us. Estelle Jones remembers the first time she heard about the death of George Floyd. On May 25th in Minneapolis, police arrested George Floyd, a 46-year-old black man. He was accused of trying to buy a pack of cigarettes with a counterfeit $20 bill. Within minutes of the arrest, a police officer had Floyd on the ground face down. The officer pinned Floyd to the ground by pressing his knee into Floyd's neck. He did that for more than eight minutes. He didn't stop when Floyd gasped that he couldn't breathe. He didn't stop when onlookers pleaded with him. And the other police officers there, they didn't stop him. Floyd died during the arrest, of cardiac arrest, because of the pressure on his neck. His death has triggered a wave of protests around the world. We are weeks into those protests now. Some of them have been peaceful and some haven't, but millions of Americans have called for justice for George Floyd and for an end to systemic racism. When Estelle heard about George Floyd, it was probably pretty similar to how most people did. She was at her home in St. Paul, Minnesota, watching the news. I was sitting here watching my TV, and that came on the news. I couldn't believe my eyes. And then I said, here we go again. As Estelle listened to the news report about George Floyd, 
She thought about other African-American men and women killed or assaulted by police in her home state of Minnesota. She thought about her own grandson, who she says was assaulted by police while he was at a traffic stop in 2015. Black people are about twice as likely as white people to be pulled over by police for a traffic stop in America. And once they're pulled over, they're much more likely to be searched, even though, according to several studies, searches of white people are slightly more likely to turn up drugs or other contraband. And police searches, those are when violence during a traffic stop is most likely to happen. Here's what Estelle remembers about her grandson. Once they got him out of the car, they had tased him before he even got out. He never resisted. He stood there with his hands cuffed facing the car that he was in. And we uh, ended up uh, seeing him being knocked to the ground, being tased. At the same time, they set the dog on him and were yelling and screaming, don't kill him, don't kill him. Estelle was there. She was watching in horror with her mother and her daughter. She said her grandson was hospitalized for his injuries. And this with George Floyd, what happened to him had just brought back horrible pain to me at this time because I have witnessed what the police officers will do to people. It's very devastating, very hurtful. When she was younger, Estelle would take to the streets to protest racism. Even recently, she remembers marching outside the governor of Minnesota's house in 2016 when Philando Castile, a 32-year-old African-American man, was fatally shot by a police officer during a traffic stop. But I'm older now. I'm 75 years old, and because of this pandemic, I can't, you know, go out amongst the people like that. I, you know, they wouldn't—I have to be careful. Still, one morning last week, Estelle visited the spot where George Floyd died. I had to go. I said, I have to go and find a way to get over there. She went early, hoping to avoid the crowds. Estelle said there were about 100 people there. They were speaking over loudspeakers, they were taking photos and videos, they were eating breakfast. They were talking with each other. She was glad that she went. Today, Estelle's activism manifests mostly at her parish, St. Peter Claver's in St. Paul. She's a part of the Social Justice Committee at the parish. Last spring, she helped coordinate a trip to a civil rights leadership development program in Selma, Alabama, for young people at the parish. She co-facilitates a support group for families affected by incarceration. She helps the parish bring in speakers about criminal justice and racial justice issues. That committee does a lot of work at our church. I'm glad to be a part of it. To Estelle, her parish, St. Peter Claver, is a model of how the world could be. Our bishop here in Minnesota has said that he wants to stop the racism in the Catholic Church. How can we do that? What can we do? Well, come over and look at St. Peter Claver. We're doing fine. St. Peter's has been a part of Estelle's life for, well, forever. I guess I would say all my life. I was married at the church. I was baptized, uh, first communion, everything. <laughs> so I consider that all my life. When Estelle was young, attending Mass at St. Peter's was probably more about convenience than anything else. Estelle grew up in the neighborhood. But now, as an adult, Estelle said she chooses to drive to St. Peter's. And she makes that choice because of the community she's found there. 
1888, St. Peter's was the first Catholic church founded by and for African Americans living in Minnesota. Today, the parish is home to the largest African American Catholic community in the Twin Cities. Even so, Estelle said the parish is very diverse, with members from different parts of Africa, from Central and South America, predominantly African Americans, and also, she said, even white people. Our church is a black church. It's in the black community. We're not going to give that up. But we have whites in our church, many of them. In fact, our social justice committee has more whites on there than the blacks. <laughs> and, and that's wonderful. And I'm thankful for that because we see that, you know, okay, there's some hope. I wish you could see what we, how, it, how, the, how it is at our church. At our four o'clock mass, there's more white people at that mass than there is anybody else because they like to go to four o'clock. But at the uh, 10 o'clock mass, there's whites and everybody. That is the mass where the, the singing and all, you know, everybody wants to go there. And we all, there's so much love there. So much love. Even though Estelle finds peace at St. Peter Claver, she is not blind to sin in the world. I want equality. I want equal rights. That's what I'm praying for. This world has enough to offer everyone. God created us all. There's no little use or any little eyes. We're all the same. This murdering people of color is, is just too much, and we can't handle it no more. Enough is enough. 400-plus years of uh, oppression, enough is enough. I heard about George Floyd from one of my friends. Um, I wasn't on social media. I don't watch too much TV, and so I wasn't like looking on social media, so I hadn't heard about it. This is Father Josh Johnson. He's a priest in the Diocese of Baton Rouge, Louisiana. That day, or maybe it was the day after, he doesn't remember, Father Josh saw there was a video. I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have done it, but I watched the video, and I, and I saw... This man who was a Christian man, uh, who was a member of the body of Jesus Christ, I saw him, um, I saw him on the ground and I saw Derek Chauvin's knee on his neck. And for nine minutes, I watched him die. And to watch a human being die on camera was traumatizing. As a Christian, I can't, as a Catholic priest, I can't watch that happen and not be affected and not grieve, not be sad, not experience um, an anger that I pray was just. He also couldn't stop thinking that what happened to George Floyd could have happened to him. George Floyd's death reminded Father Josh of his own experiences of racism. Of being a black man in this country and of being followed, of being falsely accused for no other reason than because of the color of my skin, of, of being harassed even by members of the law enforcement. Father Josh says he has a good relationship with law enforcement officers. His dad was a cop. He was a captain, in fact, of the Baton Rouge Police Department. And Father Josh has collaborated a lot with law enforcement during the seven years he's been ordained a priest. However, that does not change the fact that when I'm not wearing my clerics, people in society don't see me as Father Josh. They see me as another black man. Father Josh took everything to prayer on his knees in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And in prayer, 
Father Josh said that he perceived the Holy Spirit inspiring him to formulate a prayer, the litany of the body of Christ. Where individuals would take someone's name, uh, a black Christian, or if you're black, a white Christian, or whoever, and you'd write that that person's name is the body of Christ over and over and over and over again. Like George Floyd is the body of Christ. Ahmed Arbery is the body of Christ. Breonna Taylor is the body of Christ. Because if we really believe that in our prayer, this person is the body of Christ, that's going to change everything. It's going to change the way that we view that person, that we listen to that person, that we speak about that person, that we work with that person to overcome whatever might be hurting the body of Christ in that person. It went viral. Like, literally, people have been tagging me on Instagram and on other forms of social media, their own writing of the Litany of the Body of Christ. People have reached out to Father Josh, telling him the prayer has opened their eyes to their own responsibility as Christians to pray for an end to racism. Even though they might not personally have ever said the N-word, or they might not participate in a practice or policy that accommodates white people and alienates black people or brown people, even though they don't participate in that, they're still responsible to, to pray against racism. They're still responsible to repent, not necessarily just for things that they may have or may have not done, but they are responsible as members of the body of Christ to repent on behalf of other members of the body of Christ. And, and reconciliation cannot happen until we not only repent, but until we make reparation. And reparation is not a political word. It is a biblical word that Zacchaeus did in the New Testament. Father Josh has only been a priest for seven years, but he has spent a lot of those years preaching publicly about racism and trying to heal the racial divide. Typically when I've done this, people have just been like, oh, that's not, Father Josh, do you really think it's that big of a deal? And finally now, like this is the very first time in my life, this is the very first time in my life that a number of Catholics have come together and decided we're going to acknowledge that there's a problem and we're going to acknowledge that God is inviting us to be a part of the solution through our prayers, our intentional prayers, through our fasting, um, through our listening and learning things that we didn't know, um, and, and through collaborating with each other. Father Josh said that every effort at change has to start with prayer. The more we spend time with Christ in adoration, the more we're going to be able to imitate him and to see the world through his eyes and hear with his ears and feel with his heart and act with his body. But then a practice that I encourage people to do is to go out of their comfort zones, go out of their holy huddles, um, get out of their circles that they, the echo chambers, and listen to other voices. He said you can follow black Catholic leaders on social media. You can watch documentaries and read books about racism. You can make a pilgrimage to a museum about racial inequality in your area. Then after you do all that studying, learning, and reading, and listening, and praying, then then go to the table with other um, other people of color, black and brown people. And after you've done your own research, um, ask them if they are open to having conversations and to praying with you about this topic, and listen to them and believe their stories. And if we listen to people and believe each other's stories, then we can work with each other to not only um, be a bridge for people to experience transformation in Christ, but also we can work together to reform unjust laws, practices, those unwritten rules and policies, those written rules that are still out today that continue to accommodate one group of people because of the color of their skin and continue to discriminate and alienate another group of people this is a, a kingdom issue and it's a discipleship issue. And if the disciples of Jesus Christ could come together, then we could be used by God to combat this evil that has just brought about so much damage to the, to the body of Christ and to men and women made in the image of God in the United States of America for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years.
After the break, we have more voices to share with you. Don't change that dial. Hi everyone, this is CNA producer Jonah McKeown. If you're a fan of CNA Newsroom or CNA Editor's Desk, there's a good chance you listen on your morning or evening commute. As you know, fewer people are commuting to work right now, and as a result, fewer people are listening to podcasts. The listenership for many podcasts has dropped by 10% or so between March and April. Listening and subscribing to our podcasts won't cost you a dime, But it does help us out a lot. The more people listen to our podcasts, the more likely it is that podcast apps will recommend our shows to new listeners. So, after you listen to this episode of CNA Newsroom, consider queuing up another one. We've included suggestions in this week's show notes for some of our favorite episodes we've produced over the years, so that even after this episode ends, you can keep on enjoying the high-quality Catholic podcasting you've come to expect from us. And while you're here, consider subscribing to the show. Just search for CNA Newsroom and CNA Editor's Desk on your favorite podcast app, tap the subscribe button, and enjoy. And now, back to the episode. Gloria Purvis is a black Catholic, a radio host, and a pro-life advocate. She remembers the first time that she saw the video of George Floyd's death. I just remember watching it and screaming out, you know, at the video and even my hands moving as if I'm pushing the police officer off him myself. I will never forget that. It was the most horrifying thing ever. And if you're pro-life, it would be like watching an abortion being performed and not being able to do anything. Gloria went on social media, expecting to see other leading pro-life advocates condemn George Floyd's death and join in calls for justice. But that didn't exactly happen. I see them post more about looting and rioting and, and none about what actually happened to George Floyd. And I'm like, what is, where are your priorities? If this were an unborn child, we would all rightly be outraged and talking about this. We protest and we scream because we want to be treated equally like any other citizen in the United States. We don't want to be killed extrajudicially. Even if we are guilty of some crime, we should receive the same kind of due process as Dylan Roof, who killed nine black people inside a church in Charleston, South Carolina. He was taken in, wasn't beaten up, was taken to Burger King to eat. Okay, whereas this man on a perhaps you know, passing a counterfeit bill, perhaps, was handcuffed face down and knelt on his neck for the better part of nearly nine minutes. Just the whole notion that someone could see this, that people in our pro-life movement can see this and then be upset about buildings burning. I'm not saying buildings burning aren't important, but we can rebuild. And I'm not saying people who have lost their life, that we should ignore that, but they have a life and they can build again. And we can help them in the community build again. We cannot get back the life of George Floyd, Rihanna Taylor, Sandra Bland, Philanda Castile, Alton Sterling, and I could go on and on and on. 
These men and women lost their lives to racism, she said. But she says that racism is so deeply rooted in our society that most of the time it manifests in ways that are important, but less often noticed or talked about. Still, it's something Gloria has to think about constantly. Like knowing that I have to think twice about uh, if I'm going to be someplace and someone calls the police on me, or if I even call the police because I need help, I need to think about those things. What might that interaction be? Or when you go into a store and you're buying a high ticket item, you better make sure you have the receipt on your way out so that you're not uh, stopped by the police or, or worse. It's just, it's so um, endemic in our society. And if you've not had to deal with it, you've probably not thought twice about it. One of Gloria's go-to examples is the time she says that she interviewed for a high-level job and the person interviewing her asked her if she could read. Seriously, like asked her if she could read. Ask me if I could read. Gloria graduated from an Ivy League school. That was included on her resume. And I was thinking to myself, can you read? Did you not see my resume? I speak more than one language. What are you talking about? This person was a junior person, and I was looking at this most senior person who, you know, would be making a hiring decision, and they didn't flinch. Gloria said the experience reminded her just how powerfully many people have been conditioned to accept a certain degree of racism. There's really a blindness about what racism is. But as Catholics, we we have to challenge that because it's contrary to the gospel and it's contrary to what God himself has told us about who we are and who we are. We're concerned about police brutality and racism, not because we're woke and left or right and all this kind of nonsense. It's because we're Catholic and we have a gospel imperative to protect and defend the vulnerable and oppressed among us. Gloria said she has found a lot of hope in the momentum she's seen after George Floyd's death. People are trying to listen. I can't tell you the number of people that want to do something. What can we do? What can we do? Whenever we're confronting sin, what do we do? We have to do an interior examination. Then she said we should listen to others. Don't look away. Listen to what people are telling you. Consider it, you know? This demon of racism is going to be have, have to be taken head on, and it's going to take work, and it's going to be painful. And we have to confess and admit to our participation in any of this, in any way, shape, or form, and ask the Lord to really show us our brokenness and ask Him to heal us. But we have to do it sincerely and with humility. This is hard work for everybody. Trust me. Gloria said she can see God's hand in the fact that George Floyd's death coincided with the coronavirus pandemic. I see this as the Lord calling us to repentance. And the fact that all of these things happened while most of us were locked up in our houses and can't get out in a way and distract ourselves, the Lord is calling this nation to repentance. We should seek his mercy while it is to be found. And we should take hope in that he hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't turned his back on us. If we would but just turn away from sin and turn to him, you know, what would this country be? How could we mend this? And it might be the rest of my life that we work on this, just like the rest of my life could be spent in trying to find legal protection for the unborn. Brian Greenfield remembers that he had mixed emotions when he heard about the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis. For one, he was just shocked. Just on a human level, right? You know, how could you do that when this person, you know, he can't hurt you anymore. You know, you have the upper hand. 
how do three other people, I'm not even talking about law enforcement, I'm talking about adults, how do three other grown men take part in this and see this happening and, and don't say anything? And then you think about he's calling on his mom, that, that last moment of desperation, because he understands that no one's going to help him. It's horrible. But Brian was also, well, Brian was exhausted. Before George Floyd, there was Ahmed Arbery, who was shot and killed while jogging. There was Breonna Taylor, who was shot at least eight times when police entered her apartment by accident to execute a drug warrant. And those were just in the last couple of months. And it's one of those things where maybe when you hear the first couple of times, you get, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, you're, you're shocked by it. Um, but then you hear it enough, you're like, you know what? Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm not, I understand the, the, the travesty in it. I understand the hurt and the pain and the ugliness of it, but I'm not, I'm not shocked by it anymore. Brian is a black Catholic who lives in Florida with his wife and their two children. He's a campus minister and a speaker. He speaks at, like, Steubenville conferences and other big Catholic events. He says he's experienced blatant racism in the past. But he said the type of racism he personally encounters the most is less obvious. But the thing that makes it so difficult now is people hide it. So if someone could hate me because of my race, and they would never say it, and they might, they will put on a good face but harbor that hate inside and they may do stuff behind closed doors that would affect me but I would never know it and that confusion he said can cause a lot of self-doubt when you don't know something you a guy like me I'm just going to internalize right I'm just going to think there's, there's something wrong with me because it couldn't possibly be you because you haven't said it right that can be really difficult Brian spends a lot of time traveling the country sharing his conversion story and sharing the gospel with young people, encouraging them to give their lives to God. For Brian, that work is intimately tied to questions about racism. Where we are right now, it is only God. It is only a commitment to truth that's going to get us out of it. People are going to do what they feel is right based off of their experiences until they have a converted heart. Then their actions will transcend their experiences because they'll be pursuing God, they'll be pursuing holiness, God will be their standard, as opposed to where they grew up or what's comfortable for them. You don't have to go through the same experiences to have compassion. You don't have to have been put down because of your race to, to have a heart and, and, and want to know what another person is going through. Brian said he hopes his work will create a better world for his children. It's kind of one of those sad things because when you think about Martin Luther King, you know, I think he probably hoped that his grandkids or his kids wouldn't have to deal with any of this stuff, right? Like my father, he hoped that I, I didn't have to deal with this stuff. You know, my hope for my kids is that, that they don't have to deal with this stuff. So it's like, a, it's like the hope keeps getting pushed back a generation. Brian said the death of George Floyd was senseless, preventable. And for some, that might raise the question of, where was God in Minneapolis when George Floyd died? With anything, with anybody, you see a tragedy happen and you either run away from God because you think that God is in the situation or you run to God because you think that God is your only hope in the situation. Historically, African-Americans have had to 
separate the acts of individuals from the teachings of God. Because if, 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 if we as a people believe that the acts of the individuals was the same thing as what God wanted to have happen, you know, none of us would be Christian or Catholic. In the case of George Floyd, I think God was just like the people are cheering up when they see it, God's cheering up when he sees it. You know, I think when people ask, where was God in the situation? I think God was, maybe God was trying to speak to the conscience of this person. Maybe God was speaking to this person through the onlookers who were telling the, the police officer, he can't breathe, he's done, let him go. God could be those voices that kind of get drowned out by the negativity, you know. So that's kind of the way I, you know, I, I see it. Father James Bodie is an African-American priest in the Diocese of St. Augustine, Florida. He's a friend of mine. I got to know him when we were on a committee together a few years back. I really like Father Bodie. With everything going on, I was curious how Father Bodie was doing, how he was reacting to everything. So we gave him a call. He told us that George Floyd's death was shocking. It was just unimaginable. I was shocked. And I went immediately into prayer for Mr. George Floyd, for his family, and for the uh, police department, because I say, like, the actions of a few police officers does not cast a shadow over the entire police department. But those individuals who acted that way was it's just, uh, it was unimaginable. Father Bodie has been a priest for 42 years. And when he started his formation at St. John Vianney Minor Seminary in Miami, he was actually the first African-American seminarian from Florida to study there. I can remember when I when went down to uh, St. John Vianney, my father came with me. We took the Greyhound bus from Jacksonville to, uh, to Miami. St. John is located in um, Coral Gables. And uh, my father came down with me because he wanted to make sure that everything's okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so like uh, we were warmly welcome and I didn't realize that I would be the first African-American seminarian in the seminary from uh, Jacksonville. We asked Father Bodie if he had any advice for how Catholics can react to news like the death of George Floyd. He suggested peaceful protest, conversation, and community goal setting because racism isn't something that will go away overnight. But Father Bodie also suggested prayer, and one prayer in particular a prayer included in a pastoral letter against racism published in 2018 by the U.S. bishops. I thought it would be good to close this episode with that prayer. Here's Father Bodhi. Mary, friend and mother to all, through your son, God has found a way to unite himself to every human being, called to be one people, sisters and brothers to each other, we ask for your help in calling on your son, seeking forgiveness for the times when we have failed to love and respect one another. We ask for your help in obtaining from your son the grace we need to overcome the evil of racism and to build a just society. We ask for your help and following your son so that prejudice and animosity will no longer infect our minds or hearts, but will be replaced with a love 
that respects the dignity of each person. Mother of the church, the spirit of your son Jesus warms our hearts. Pray for us. Amen. That is our show for this week. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week with more stories about black Catholics in America, including the story of Father Augustus Tolton, the runaway slave who became a priest. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Oliveira and Joan McKeown. Our executive producer is Kate Oliveira. Special thanks to Father James Bodie, to Estelle Jones, to Father Josh Johnson, Brian Greenfield, and Gloria Purvis. We'll see you next week.